Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, my name is Monica O'Hanlon and you could say I'm a bit of a sticky beak. I just love hearing people's stories because it's true what they say, everyone's got one. I work at Gove FM in northeast Arnhem Land in the NT. It's one of the most remote and unspoilt parts of Australia. Never heard of it? That's okay. But I bet someone you know has. This tiny slice of paradise has a weird way of connecting people. Everyone knows someone who's been here. I guarantee it. If you're someone who isn't familiar with it, here's what you need to know. The Jungle people are the traditional owners of this region. Their vibrant culture dates back more than 40,000 years. The hub, where I live, is called Nullumboy a town created on the Gove Peninsula after the establishment of the bauxite mine. You're probably asking, what's the purpose of this podcast? I've met so many weird and wonderful people, whether they're from here or just passing through. I want to know how their path led them to this tiny little dot on the map. And it would be my absolute pleasure to share it with you. I was trying to figure out how I could start this episode and I could only come up with one logical way by saying Eleanor Wangura is an incredible woman. She was born here at Gove District Hospital to an Italian mother and an Indigenous father. Having had a passion for dancing since a young age, Eleanor is a breathtakingly talented performer and has worked with some of the biggest names in Australian entertainment. Right now, she's on tour in Canada and the US with Hot Brown Honey. If you haven't heard of them, give them a Google. They've created genre-defying theatre with a purpose to challenge boundaries and embrace resilience. Also, visually, they put on an epic show. Now, if this isn't impressive enough, Eleanor is also the founder of the female empowerment initiative, Queen Mode. Full disclosure, Eleanor was my dance teacher in my early teens and I always thought of her as a bit of an icon, so I fangirled pretty hard in this interview. She's a truly inspiring human, so I felt incredibly lucky to have her on this week's episode of North East Arnhem Land with Mon. Well, first off, Thank you so much for coming in. When we bumped into each other at the post office, I, you know, when you have that second, you like, I knew who you were and then it just clicked after. I'm like, oh, hip hop. Like, <laughs> so yeah. it was really nice. It's been, I reckon, over 10 years. Yeah, it's been about 11 since I left. So, yeah. 
We're going to talk about everything that you've done since that. There's a huge list. But first off, I I was like reading a little bit about you to prepare for the interview, having yeah. a bit of a sticky beak. I saw in your public profile that you're a Triestina Waramiri woman. Yeah. And I I knew that the Waramiri people are from Elko region, right? They own like Wessels. But Triestina, I, <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, is that in Australia? Is that South Australia or something? I had a little Google. That's Italy, right? Yeah. Right. It's mum's side. So uh. mum's first generation Australian. So both of her parents and parents' parents migrated from Italy in the 50s. Cool. I've met a lot of Indigenous people who, for whatever reason, grew up in mainly Western society uh, with those traditions. But as they got older, they felt a real urge to go back to culture. Have you ever felt that pull from your Italian side? I think later in my life, most definitely, obviously, because I'm quite brown, I've had a very person of colour experience. And so when I tell people that my background is also Italian, they're kind of like, oh, but you look black to us. I'm like, yeah, I get that. So I think because that has always been my experience for a very long time, I just accepted that that's what it was. But I I spent a lot of my time with my mum, so I've always known that I'm equally both parts. Um, I actually went to Italy for the first time last year with my mum and Nonna. So that was a really, a really interesting experience for me because I got to see the town where my grandparents came from, you know, the stories about the war and when they left. And it, it was stuff that I'd heard, but obviously it's very different to hear because when I hear stories, I can actually visit the place. Yeah. You know, so it makes it really more attainable. So then being able to do that for the other side of my family was like my two worlds of coming together. Yeah. Yeah. So how did your folks meet then? Was that up here? Because you were born yeah. in Gove, right? Yeah, I was born in Gove. So my my mum's dad was a carpenter and he ended up going up to Elko when the missionaries came and they helped build a lot of the houses and he helped, you know, Skillshare with the local people and so them being at Elko. My mum, I think she was about 12 when she went up and then they stayed there for a little bit of time. Then she obviously met my dad and so on. And now I'm here. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Would you say that your upbringing was traditional in the like Indigenous sense, but also like, I guess the Italian, was it, were you brought up with both sides? Um, To some degree, yes. I think because we were always in and out of Gove, or the island for a period of time. And then I moved away, like went to Adelaide and schooled in Canberra. So from about 10 on, I was traveling a lot down south. But my memories up until that point, my household is trilingual, you know. Mum speaks fluent Triestine, dad speaks Waramri, mum actually speaks a number of dialects as well. So I grew up hearing the language. Mum still cooks very traditional Triestine. And then obviously when we could, we would eat seafood. So in terms of like food and culture in that sense, most definitely language and, and the food was around. Even when we moved, we were in Darwin all together for some time. So it was still in the household then. And then when I went further away, then it was just me and mum. Yeah. Right. So do you, you speak 
I'm saying it wrong, but the Triestine, that is um, a dialect of Italian. Yeah. And you speak it? No. So how many languages do you speak? I just speak English. Like I understand Yolomata, but it's a it's use it or lose it type of thing. So yeah. because I've spent so much time in the outside world, yeah, my contact has not been limited, but it's just not something that I use every day as much as yeah. English. So I think that's a lot of why in I mean, I'm, I'm 32 now, so I've spent my 20s being out and exploring the world and doing all of those things, and now I'm really feeling that push to come home and, you know, reconnect in a sense or just strengthen that side now that I've gone and done all the other things and realised, like, the world is all really, really great, but there's also <laughs> a lot of value here at home. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you said that you moved to Adelaide because you, you've been performing since you were really young, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you went to the Australian Company of Performing Arts. Is that in Adelaide? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was that with dancing? Uh, yeah. So with that, you had to do all three. So dancing, singing, and there was an element of acting in there as well, but it was mainly those two streams. So I auditioned as a dancer, but you had to learn how to sing. And I was one of the very first intakes because the lady, Kim Grant-Taylor, who runs it, was actually my next-door (laughs) neighbour. So that worked out really well. And then I was there for a little while um, and then I ended up moving. But that was – I'd been a self-taught dancer up until that point, but that was my first real introduction to what it was like to be a part of a company, to go to a training school and then actually go and be able to perform as well. And did you love it? Because you were like 10 or something, right? Yeah. 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 And straight away you knew that's what you want to do? Yeah, I loved it. I knew before that, but I just – I don't think I understood – Um, the possibility of how far you can actually go and because obviously growing up in the world that I did and my family all had trades and it was a very working class um, environment the idea of being a full-time performer just wasn't really a reality up until that point what good is sitting alone in your room come hear the music Life is a cabaret, old chum. Come to the cabaret. Put down the knitting, the book, and the broom. It's time for a holiday. Life is a cabaret, old chum. Come to the cabaret. Do you think as well, because... The, I'm just thinking now, the Chucky dancers are from Elko as well, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think that there must be some a lot of music and art uh, on the island? Do you think that influenced you going into that direction? Yeah, absolutely. Like both of my parents are musicians. They both sing, oh, both amazing. play, So, um, and also both visual artists. Cool. So creativity was always in my household, but dance was just the my outlet. So you, you came back... What age was it when you came back to teach? Because I was 16 you when were 16. I came back, yeah. And then, so did you finish high school here? I did not finish high school and I don't recommend it for uh, young kids that might be listening. Education is a great tool, but I just at the time didn't feel like it was for me and I ended up leaving um, and going straight into a traineeship. So what, what age was it when you started teaching professionally then? Because I remember... I don't know. I feel like I was maybe 15 or... Yeah, so it wouldn't... It, 
I'm trying to think when we moved. It was the end of the year and it was just after my 16th birthday, so it would have been the next year. So it was, yeah. Oh, wow, you were super young. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is going to make sense, but I always thought of you as like, you know, some people have a bit of an energy or something. I think I'm having a bit of a fangirl moment, but, you know, you were this incredible dancer and you just seemed so much older and wiser but I think, you know, you're only like four years older, but at the time you seemed so confident. And I remember all of us girls looked up to you so much, which is pretty amazing because looking back on it now, you were so young. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> how, how long were you teaching in Nullum Boy then with dancing? It was about three years, I think, three to four years. And then I went to Brisbane to then go back into study and I did four years, four and a half years, um, a degree in performing arts. That was at ACPA, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. Both of the schools that I've trained at have the same acronyms. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> what was that like? Um, it was amazing, I think, because there was all different Indigenous people from all across the country. It was my first really big insight into um, having conversations about what it's like for other Indigenous people because my experience was here. And then even though I'd moved around a little bit, I think I was still quite young and I didn't understand social constructs and that until I got into that place. You know, I was in my early 20s, so I was able to understand it a lot more. Um, and then social issues and things like that. But just the cultural exchange as well was really nice to to be able to see. Um, and, and it created a lot of value for me leaving here because it's that thing of like growing up and having language and having dances and having access to all of that kind of stuff. I definitely took it for granted when I was younger, but then going away and having those conversations with families who, you know, their grandparents were part of the stolen generation and not even being able to say, oh, I'm from here, you know, that yeah. still being a really big question, um, yeah, created a lot of value for me and pride in myself at that point. So it was a really big turning point for me, I think, in terms of my political views around Indigenous issues. What an incredible and powerful platform for you to have as a young person. Yeah. With the way ACPA works, is it you, you just concentrate on dance and then do you do the other things as well, like music and... Yeah, yeah. So when I was there, it was a little bit of a different structure, but you come in with whatever your main skill is and then you do all of the others and you do that right through your course of training. So I came in at a certificate three went to four, went to the diploma and then did the advanced diploma. But I ended up changing um, into music for my advanced diploma. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was that? Like what changed? I think because I'd always danced for such a long period of time, but dance and music go hand in hand and I was really interested in finding out more about the mechanics behind music and, you know, being able to understand different keys and, um, different styles of music and how it's actually constructed and then how that then relates to me as a dancer or a choreographer or, yeah, just those two pairings together. So would you, like if someone said, what do you do, would you say a dancer or a singer or triple threat or <laughs> how do you? I usually just say I'm a performer now because I've had to do a lot of different things and I don't really just see myself as one. Like dance has been 
the mainstay because I've done it since I was very, very little. Yeah. Um, but I've also really enjoyed singing, yeah, yes, which is something that's come later in my life because um, my expression was always physical. It's been a, the journey between it being physical to then being vocal as well. Are there any musicians that you're inspired by? Yeah, um, a, a number of different musicians for different reasons. I definitely love Beyonce as like a whole package. There's a couple of other artists that I like. Janelle Monet is another yeah. favourite. I'm just trying to think what's on my playlist at the moment. There's a young up-and-coming artist called Kirby um, out of the state. She's got a really nice soul voice. Jill Scott, Lauren Hill. There's, yeah, it, I have a long list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading as well, uh, and I've seen on social media as well, I don't know if, I guess it's from going to that school, but you've worked with some incredible people. You've got obviously Jess Malboy, Deborah Mailman. Yeah. I love her so much. Um, Lee Purcell, Casey Donovan. I mean, that's, what was that like working with these people that you would have watched on television as a kid and stuff? Yeah. I think I had the feeling when I worked with them that you might have had, you know, from what you were saying before when we were when we were dancing together and I was teaching, it was definitely that moment of like, this is my life and <laughs> these people are my idols. You yeah. Know? And I'm actually getting to collaborate with them and share ideas and, you know, like each different project was a different structure. But, yeah, just being able to be in that space and share it with them, it was incredible. Do you have a favourite person that you've worked with? Um, again, I like them all for very different reasons. I... I think the thing that sticks out for me in that list um, for, the, for the four people that you mentioned are they're all strong black women who are pioneers in their field. Yeah. And that's something that I think is really incredible. So being able to be in a space and even just observe and watch how they move and, you know, how they talk, how they treat people, you know, there's an interesting thing that when you get into the entertainment industry, it it can be very ego-driven. And the thing that I've noticed about those four women in particular are despite their level of fame, I guess, they are very in – they're really incredible humans, you know, that are just like, yeah, that's my job and I get that, you know, and I love it and cool and that's my passion, but also I see – you know, the next generation of people coming up and we want to be able to gift and share and it's not a competition. And I think to it was a very important lesson for me to be able to see that quite early on, to not get a big head in a sense, you know. Yeah. And that, yes, this is your job and people will look up to you and there is that thing that you can take it on board and it can affect the way that you treat people who are then not – at the same level or however you perceive it to be. But when these people are at the top of their game and they still have time for the everyday person, yeah. you know, I'm just like, yeah, that's really cool. Cool. I love the humanity in that. Yeah. yeah. There is that culture, especially like I, I feel like the media pushes this part more, but uh, the culture within women in media, like they love a bit of a cat fight. And it's, I think what you said is so important that we should be building each other up and like sticking together and totally yeah. just like letting everyone thrive. Yeah. And I think because it, 
it is somewhat a rarity, you know, that when people are coming up, they are pitted against each other. And sometimes people fall into that space of it being a competition, but there is enough space for women in the entertainment industry to all be thriving and be able to support each other. And there's exactly the same space for women of colour in the entertainment industry as well. Absolutely. I guess this is a perfect segue uh, to get into queen mode. So you're the founder. Yeah. How did, can you tell us how that came about? It's been something that's been in the back of my mind for a very long time. And I think while I was studying and then for a little while after, and then obviously growing up here, I spent a lot of time in remote communities working with young children and especially young women and realising that they aren't afforded the same resources and access as sometimes the boys or just in general, whether it's a remote to urban comparison or whether it's just a gender comparison. And there was something about that that just didn't sit right for me. So I spent a lot of time kind of trying to get as much experience that I can in order to be able to share that. And so the idea of Queen Mode came up some time ago, but it took me a little while to get to a point of feeling like I was ready because I understand the responsibility that then comes with having a platform, especially something that I'm so very passionate about. So I launched it last year and basically I think for me it's about bringing in people and sharing stories and sharing skills and it being almost like a resource pool, whether it's physical resources or just the interaction with other people yeah. to be able to then learn and go, okay, yeah, I like that. I'm going to try that. Or that's actually not for me, but this thing over here is really cool and I want to do that. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, because I know that that's something that's really helped me in my journey to be able to be exposed to what's possible but then also see people in that space. And then like I was saying before, that actually give you the time to go, well, if you like this, this is how you can do it. This is what I've done. This is These are my challenges rather than everybody getting to that point and not having any real indication and having to walk that road by themselves, even though people have done it before and could go, actually, yeah, I've tried that. This is, you know, yeah, this is how it worked for me. You see a lot of people do that in business, but I don't, in my travels, haven't really seen a lot of platforms or organisations that do that on like a social and just a a life, in a life space, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah, and I think just the uh, disparity between the Western and dominant culture with Indigenous cultures across, well, the Indigenous culture across Australia um, is quite large. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And there's a lot of people who do live in the Western world and they struggle to keep up and we understand that technology and all these things are becoming faster and faster. So to adapt to a dominant culture or to be able to find the balance of living in both worlds, you have to learn how it works, right? Yeah. Yo, 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 yo. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yo, walking in the street. Yo, yo. And I see the scary things. Like people sleeping petrol, action on the street. Nah, I don't wanna TV me. Nah, living life healthy and free. Nah, I don't wanna TV me. Nah, living life healthy and free. Yo, feeling proud without shame. Too many local stars to name. Feeling proud without shame. Too many local stars to name. Can't no stop it now. I um I read as well. You said <laughs> I'm quoting you here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, your highest passion is being able to give back to my community and to inspire the next generation to chase their dreams and to live out their happiness. Now, where did that come from? Did you, was that something that was always ingrained in you or did you think that you picked that up as you were travelling and kind of out of the bubble? Uh, I think it is a combination of all of those things. Um, Depending on how you want to look at it, I guess I'm a product of my environment and my experiences and the choices that I've made. And I think more and more we're pushed towards doing things that we think we should as opposed to people really giving time for us to find that space for ourselves. And I know that for myself, I have also gone down that path. Like I gave up performing for a while and I ended up working in the public service and it was a really great time. Like in hindsight, I see there was a lot of skills and things that I learned that are very valuable to my life now. Um, but there are reasons for me doing that, I guess, um, weren't really something that I felt was my choice. It was what I thought that I had to do. Yeah. Um, so now, even though now I see it as valuable, I'm trying to have a look at how you can just eliminate that and then just be like, okay, cool, find your thing when you're young and stick to it and, you know, see it out even when people in your environment might not understand it or, you know, if they don't get it, that's cool. But if you don't have anyone going, it's okay. Yeah. You don't need the approval of everybody or as long as you believe it enough for yourself, you're good. So... That's kind of where that came from for me and I think having feelings of um, not, not – my family are very supportive of me but I think that there's parts that they didn't quite understand as well so it's been a bit of a journey for us to have exchanges and 
all the things that I've learned of the world, I can now bring back and go, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And it's opened up a lot of dialogue in our household as well, which is really, really cool. But it's, it, yeah, like I said, it took a while for yeah. me to get to that point, let alone for it to then be able to filter back into my house and now the conversations that I have in the community. Yeah, Andrea, that's awesome. <laughs> That was really long. <laughs> no, that was great. That I want to hear everything. Do you have any regrets from that time, I guess, when you left the artistic world for a little while or even just from that period in your life, maybe something you would do differently or are you... I visited it a number of times. Um, no, short answer. I think that period of time for me became very difficult for a number of reasons, but like like anything and when you have a look at the stories of you know people that we perceive to be highly successful or um people who have it together yeah anybody will have a conversation with you and say these were the really low points in my life but if you can get through that part then you know the rest of it you're good you've done it you know what you're capable of so that period for me was that I guess in a sense a low point in my life but I'm not at all regretful that it happened. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's the way you've got to be. And it's character building too, right? Like yeah, it's absolutely. all scaffolding for your future self. Yeah. <laughs> and if everything was easy, you never really know what you're capable of as a person. Yeah. And if you don't break, you don't know how to build yourself back, you know? Yeah, totally. So, yeah. How did Hot Brown Honey come along? Hot Brown Honey! Incredible. <laughs> Hard-hitting, like feminist in your face. Just to be in that crowd, hooting and hollering and seeing ourselves being reflected, seeing different body types, different skin tones, and to be like out there and loud and proud and interactive and having us all moving and cheering was like totally incredible. It was, it's so funny. Because of the reputation that Hot Brown Honey has, you know, and it's not as big here in Australia as it is overseas, it came from a message from a friend that said, what are you doing in this period of time? I said, I don't have any plans. Why do you want to be in the show? And I was just like, what? (laughs) You're kidding. Like, I was out of nowhere, came from a text message. I flew down to... um, I was already in Sydney. I met with the directors of the show. We had a conversation and then a couple of the girls I already knew. So then I met the rest of the cast and then I flew to Per uh, I flew to Adelaide for kind of like my rehearsal period. So that worked for a week. And then we all then went our separate ways. And then two months later, I was on a plane to Manchester for my first tour. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. When was hectic, that? right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was the year before. I'm so confused with the start of this new year. Yeah. That was the end of 2017. Okay. December. Yeah. Which wow. is bizarre. Like when I talk to people about it, they're so you didn't audition? Like, <laughs> which is bizarre in the line of work that I do, right? Yeah. Or it, you were headhunted. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And has that opened up a lot of doors for you? Absolutely. Um, and, and especially because of the international work that we do. I went over last year 
So I spent five months in Europe last year. Um, a couple, some of that time was on tour. Some of it was in Italy, and then a chunk of it was working in London doing a, a new development, a new show called Hive City Legacy, which is a similar construct to Hot Brown Honey, but the stories of local um, young women of colour from London and the conversation about their migration. Oh, cool. Yeah, which was really, really cool. And I really like that um, collaborative and the development process of putting a show together. I really, really enjoy that. So if I hadn't been in Hot Brown Honey, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And now heading back over, you know, like I've got a whole pool of people that are now in my network who are doing a number of different things and... You know, it's that whole who you know thing. Totally. And if you have a network, you get plugged into so many different things. And now I'm constantly getting emails like, what are you What are you doing during this time? Do you want to work on this? Do you want to work on that? So it definitely has opened a number of doors. And I think that the period of time that I've had with the girls has been highly, highly educational. <laughs> In what way? Share. <laughs> yeah, I was like, is, yeah, I was waiting for the question, but... <laughs> Hot Brown Honey is a theatrical explosion. It um it takes forms of cabaret, the kind of cabaret setting, but uh, with cabaret it's kind of like there's no through line. It's just act after act after act, you know. It's just very um, highly entertaining, whereas it's a, a mix of that and, and theatre. So there's an overarching story and then the acts are whole pieces in themselves in a sense. And then it's a mixed medium piece as well. So there's a beatboxer, a singer, a rapper, two dancers and a circus performer. So there's a whole bunch of different things that are happening visually, but also um, with the overarching story, there are a number of different political messages and social commentary that happen within the show. So... That's where the educational part came in for me. I understand, understood things about feminism and obviously what I was saying before about, you know, where queen mode stems from for me and feeling like there wasn't equality um, in the gender balance. And learning about feminism and then learning about intersectional, intersectional feminism, exploring a little bit more about exoticism and patriarchy and those kind of things, they were all concepts that I had heard of, but then through being in the show, we were able to drill down on what that means and what it looks like in our everyday lives, which I thought was really cool and has created a lot of awareness for me just around social issues and now how I move through the world as a human, but then, you know, the perception of me only just being a black woman. Hot Brown Honey, it's a theatrical explosion. In the hive, I am queen. Taste the cuisine. In Australia, there's a real lack of brown faces on the television, in film and on the stage. So we were like, right, what are we going to do? My kitchen rules. It's been like a, a deep passion for Basti and myself to create spaces for our own faces. We just thought it was really important that we, we, you know, if the space is not there for us to join in, then let's create our own space. You are known as in the group Eleanor the Soul Soother. I am. <laughs> How'd you get that name? <laughs> um, 
everyone has their own names, obviously, for different reasons. And when it came time for me to pick a name or for a name to choose me, one of the other girls actually came out with it and was like, you're the soul soother. You're the one that kind of brings the calm to the group and, you know, sometimes I'm the person that people come to when they need to talk about things or whatever. So that's where the name came from for me. That's a like that's such a nice thing for someone to say, right? That's such a compliment. Yeah. And it really was at the time and I was like, Oh, I want something that's like exciting you know that was like I'm the myth slayer or the game changer and I was like and and I'm the soul soother like it's not as punchy but yeah it's definitely an important role I think within the group not just within the group dynamic but then also it is how I move through the world I can be very fierce in one sense but my natural nature is quite calm and very soothing, apparently. <laughs> a very soothing voice, like the perfect voice for radio. <laughs> of course, we want the audience to have an amazing time, but for us, the most important things is the discussion that follows. Because we're, you know, we're touching on so many issues, like what affects women of colour every day. Look at hip-hop film clips and the way women are portrayed. That's infiltrated our thoughts as well. And we're like, how do we flip that? Because that's not actually who we are. In this country right now, more conversations need to be had. You know, this might be an amazing, entertaining show, of course, but it's to create conversation to move this country forward. consider your biggest accomplishment so far because you I mean I wouldn't know where you're starting I'm trying to think about what you're going to say but your list is so long I often think about this because like most people I sometimes have down days and I have a lot of things on my wall that help stimulate me in certain periods like that so there's been a number of times that I've come to like bracket this down and be like yeah I'm so glad I did that I'm so glad I did that um I think a highlight for me has been doing the NRL All-Stars with Jess. So saying, I think it was pre-show, which was massive. So like I'd done a couple of stadium gigs before, um, but they were more like ensemble stuff. So doing backup for her and there was like 30 or 40,000 people or something. It's just like... And not not an everyday experience for a number of reasons, but just the level of energy is probably something that I've maybe only felt a couple of times in my life. So that's definitely a highlight. Um, Hot Brown Honey has changed my life. So that is up the top of the list. Um, Being on the Hive City Project and then something that is not performance related I also do event management. Um, Wow. Yeah. So when I was in the government, I did event management and public programming. So the other really big personal and career achievement for me was working on the constitutional recognition conversations that happened um, a couple of years ago that produced the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Yeah. So I was contracted to come in and event manage that process and I went to nine out of the 13 dialogues so 
I think just being a part of um, being able to be in the room while those conversations were being had and then being there while the statement was read and just such an important time in history and I think that you know there's parts of that outcome that were disappointing for a lot of people who were in the process but it still happened you know and it's a step towards the right direction for um, constitutional reform so that's definitely another really big thing that is at the top of my list. I must have missed that when I was stalking you. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. So you have literally, I mean, the spectrum of things that you've done is just crazy. Like it's very wide. Do you think, I guess, when you were growing up, culture would have been, I'm putting words into your mouth, but culture would have been a big part of your upbringing, right? Yeah, to some degree. Culture influences my life in a lot of ways that I don't even really realise and there are a lot of things that are embedded in my conscience and in my behaviour because of the environment that I've grown up in and things that I've seen and just the way that people conduct themselves. And, you know, you hear a lot of people say that younger people have such a different nature about them, you know, and, and are quite patient people and... It's not very often that you you meet it's not very common that you meet young people that talk a lot. You know? And there's parts of that that I think that I have adapted and I've been able to it's <laughs> I've actually had to learn how to speak, you know? And I definitely think that comes from that side for me for a number of different reasons, but I really do try to understand the other side of a person and I don't know if that's just who I am as a person or, you know, like my natural makeup or whether these are influences that have come from my having normal heritage, but it's definitely things that I notice in the other women in our families. So I think the way that it's influenced my life is in ways that I can't actually really communicate. Yeah, yeah. It's just who I am as a person and how I move in the world and how I choose to treat people and really wanting to contribute something positive to the world from the perspective that I have, which is a young woman, Triestina woman. Amazing. And what a perspective to have, especially in this day and age, all of these things that you're talking about, you know, they're not selfish things. You want to contribute to the world positively. And I think that is so special. And I find you so inspiring uh, for anyone out there, or actually maybe we'll do it this way. If you could give advice to a 10-year-old you, what would it be? Advice to a 10-year-old me? Hmm. I would say, this got to make me a little bit emotional. I would say that your dreams aren't too big. Believe in yourself and everything that you have ever imagined is what your life is going to look like and more. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> Eleanor, 
What are your hopes for the future? Mm, I think there are a lot of things for the future and about the world that I see and I don't agree with and that I would like to change. I think for me the ideal is living in a space where there's mutual respect and there's value for yourself and for everything around you and that it isn't taken advantage of. I I think there's a lot of disparities in the world in, in a number of different ways and those are definitely the things that hurt my heart when people, you know, like the raping of the land and, you know, just the mistreatment of a number of different minorities and the power plays that come with people's egos and money and greed. I don't think that it will ever not be a thing, but I would like to see it be a little bit more balanced. I feel like we're living in a time of extremes and, yeah, so if I could change something or what I would like to see change is how drastic that gap is and to try and find it's find some balance in that is there anything else that you want to say um not about me I just want to say thank you for having me and it was such a chance meeting but I'm so glad and I think that it's really great what you're doing and I'm really happy to be involved because it's such an important thing and something that you know definitely aligns with my values and the sharing of people's stories and getting to understand and know who it is that we share a town, we share a place, we share we share with, I think is a, a very vital step in moving towards that overall balance. Thank you. It's been a, I, I mean, I feel very lucky to have you in here. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. Likewise. Thanks for having me. I can't believe that was already the seventh episode of North East Arnhem Land with Mon. We have had so many incredible stories come out of this region so far, and there are still so many more to come. Now, if you or someone you know has a story they'd like to share, all the contact info is in the show notes. As always, a huge thank you to GovFM. Without this station, this podcast would not be possible. And of course, thank you for listening. If you liked it, it would be so great if you could give us a review and don't forget to hit subscribe. I'm Monica O'Hanlon. I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.